Podcastle Episode 80 for December 1st, 2009. Superhero Girl by Jessica J. Lee. Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky. Believe me when I tell you, I'm a bit squeamish. Like, really squeamish. Like, when I watch The Fight Club, I have to look away from the screen during the bloody bits. Like, the first time I watched Pulp Fiction and The Girl Overdoses and John Travolta, well, you know, I feel sick to my stomach for days. Even having my blood drawn makes me feel faint. Seriously. Now, reading about gore, writing about gore, that's fine. Blood, guts, intestines, savage disembowelment, organs strewn hither and thither, no problem. But looking at it, ugh, not good. Which is why my husband was really baffled when he dug out a copy of the video game Soul Calibur II, stuck it in our dusty PlayStation, and created an addict. It's true, I'm squeamish about fighting, but put a bunch of people in ridiculous brightly colored outfits, all gathered together with some fantastical excuse in a high fantasy setting, and then give me buttons to press to make them punch each other, and I'm one happy soul. I really wanted to play the big hulky guys with spiky shoulders and enormous axes, but unfortunately my playing style means that I'm stuck with goody two-shoes girls who hit really weakly, but can punch so fast that the hulking monstrosities never have a chance to respond. Talim, Sofitia, Taki, sometimes Shenghua. And while I hate their sappy remarks and the way Talim shouts, Are you okay? in the middle of a match, apparently sincerely, even though she's just punched the heck out of some other guy, I I admit it, I've started to feel affection for my goody two-shoes avatars. I guess everyone falls for good guys in spandex. Today's story is Superhero Girl by Jessica J. Lee. Lee recently graduated from the University of Iowa with a BA in English and a minor in anthropology. When not writing, she spends her time watching westerns, coordinating Z-Day drills, and mollycoddling her dwarf hamsters. Presently, she's in Korea, teaching English. Superhero Girl is Lee's first fiction sale, but certainly not her last. It's read for us by Jack Mangan, who runs his own podcast, Jack Mangan's Deadpan Podcast, at www.jackmangan.com. You can also find his spherical Tomy patio book novel exclusively at patiobooks.com. Read more about the author's development of this piece on the Fantasy Magazine website, where associate editor Ray Bryant interviewed Jessica Lee about this piece. The link is www.fantasy-magazine.com slash 2009 slash 06 slash terribly dash fond dash of dash syncreticism dash Jessica dash Lee. Enjoy the story. Superhero Girl, Jessica J. Lee. I wake to the sound of my name. The TV is still on, stuck on a ghost channel. Otherwise, my room is dark, and it feels empty. But I know what I heard. I know who it sounded like. Ophelia! I whisper harshly. At first, there is no reply. I wait, listening hard. Her voice comes tinny and faint between bursts of white noise. I'm here. Come, find me. There's a shadow on the screen, moving through lines of static. A small figure lost in an electric blizzard. It has faded by the time I draw closer. It could have been anything. I swear it was her. She'll come back. She always does. All I have to do is let myself believe it. 
Ophelia was a superhero. She told me so without reserve. It's safe for me to tell you, she said. I can sense you're not a villain. Besides, it would be unfair to keep it from you. It won't be easy, you know, being involved with a superhero girl. It did take some getting used to. She received her mission briefings in birdsong, in radio static, encoded in every third word backwards from a breaking news bulletin on the televisions in a specific store window. She saw battle plans drawn out for her in cloud patterns, coffee cup rings, the movement of players on a soccer field. During these moments, she would stand frozen in mid-motion, her head cocked to the side, listening intently. Then she would drop, literally drop, whatever she was doing and dash away, calling apologies over her shoulder. I'll just wait for you here then, I said the first time it happened. No, no, she shouted back. This could take hours. I'll call you. I scooped what I could of her ice cream cone off the sidewalk and dumped it in the trash. Her friends told me that it was just another quirk of hers, that she just said things like that when she needed to use the restroom, or go back to her apartment for something she'd forgotten, or attend a lecture. I had to admit that I didn't know what her class schedule was like. When I told Ophelia what they'd said, she laughed fondly. They're just trying to protect my secret. They don't think you should know about me. And I kept her secret. I didn't tell my friends that she helped keep the world safe for us. I didn't tell my friends much of anything about her. Maybe I was trying to preserve the intimacy of our relationship. Maybe it was because of something else. The first time we made love, I saw the faded red lines across the tops of her thighs, straight and thin, precisely drawn. There were a lot of them. I pretended not to notice, but she saw me looking and said in explanation, Robot ninjas with laser-bladed throwing stars. I was lucky. If I hadn't jumped back when I did, they would have taken my legs clean off. It was a tough mission. I almost didn't make it. I'm glad you did, I said, keeping my voice as light as hers. The superhero business sounds pretty dangerous. Unfortunately, we do make some enemies, she said. It can't be helped. It's part of the job description. But it's worth it. Really, it is. I thought I understood more of her that night. I thought I had figured out some of why she told me the stories she did. I knew at least that I loved her, and I thought that was what mattered most. I sit on my bedroom floor, a ramen-crusted bowl at my knee, watching the snow crackle across the TV. A two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper sits warm in my lap, stained coffee mugs at the base of my dresser. I am determined to catch the next transmission. There's a dark spot in the corner of the screen, and I start forward, then slump back in disappointment. It is only a cockroach. But there is something about the way it skitters across the screen. There could be a pattern there. If I unfocus my eyes, I can almost see it form. Ophelia kept her head shaved, she said, because her hair interfered with transmissions. She told me that hair is the body's natural defense against otherworldly communications because the physical form wants nothing to do with the astral plane. Hair tries to keep the soul trapped, grounded. By shaving her head, she was opening her mind. I told her that my brother said the same thing about getting baked. She wore a different wig almost every day. There was a sleek black bob, the frizzy short pink, the long elegant chestnut. 
Each date with her was like a rendezvous with an international spy who could not afford to be recognized in public. When I first saw Ophelia, her name was Scaharazadi, Hera for short, and she was strumming a battered acoustic guitar at the front of a coffee house, crooning an unfamiliar language into the mic. Her eyebrows were bubblegum pink, and she wore a tie-dyed babushka. I would find out later that her eyelashes glowed in the dark. She couldn't play worth a damn, but her voice was haunting, even over the sounds of the vampire crowd. It's our native tongue, she told me after her set. I ordered a coffee, she asked for tea. The one everyone used to know. You mean before God struck down the Tower of Babel? I said with a half-smile. Even back then, when I was a religions major, I couldn't help but sound sardonic when I talked about the Bible. No, silly, before the whale stole it and made everyone forget. Our drinks came, and we talked about Babel and mythic history and grisly alternative options for fuel, about how I couldn't decide on a major and how she couldn't decide on a name. We agreed at closing that the conversation was far from over, and she followed me home. But this language, the one we lost, I said, how do you know it? Some of us still do. I could teach you. It's easy. She sealed her mouth around my navel and hummed a note into my belly that made my toes curl. See? Your body wants to remember. All you have to do is let it. There are moments when I think that Ophelia was never here. But then I gather up the photographs, the doodles she left in my notebooks, the coded notes she slipped into my pockets, and I can remember the realness of her. How could I make up a person like Ophelia? Nobody could, but her. Some days she was so tired she didn't want to move. She just slept, curled up on my futon for hours, looking as worried and frail as though she had the weight of an imperiled world on her slight shoulders. She blamed the distant stars for her condition, said they drained her of her life force so they could shine a little longer. She did not seem to mind. I let her sleep, made her tea when she woke, and tried not to worry. I couldn't help but think, though, that on those days she looked somehow two-dimensional, paper-thin, as though she might, without the proper attention and care, simply fade away. I'm from Atlantis, she whispered one night. What? Atlantis. That's where I am when I go away for a few days. But I have to leave my physical form behind, because the city is deep under the ice in Antarctica, and my body wouldn't survive in the cold. Besides, I can travel faster that way. I thought you were diffusing a megabomb in Madrid. That was last week. I'm learning how to stay outside my body for longer periods of time. Soon, I won't need it at all. I like your body, I protested. She said, well, it's good for a few things. And we took advantage of some then. I cannot recall the last time I slept. Has it been a week already? Two weeks? Friends keep calling, so I unplug the phone, turn off my mobile. I don't answer the knocks at the door. I I can't afford to be distracted now. I force myself to stay awake. I could miss a message if I sleep. It is becoming easier to find them tucked in foreign newspaper headlines, peeking out from the weave of my sweater. Hints of warning, threats of reassurance. A couple more days and I know I'll be able to read them as well as she did. 
I can almost hear her in the buzzing of the electric shaver. Just a couple more days, and I'll know. I grab another handful of caffeine pills. I headed for the hospital as soon as I got the call. Her best friend's voice, shaky and strained, running on a loop in my head. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone. A clump of people huddled in the hall, their backs to an open door. I had been almost running, but I slowed when I saw them. Or when they saw me. Something in the way they stood, the way they turned, almost in unison, made me want to run back the other way. How did... My voice caught, and I cleared my throat. What happened? They stared at me with burnt coal eyes. It was the cancer, one of them said. I felt hollow. They weren't making sense. Cancer? Some of them were glaring at me as though I was the one who had taken her away and brought back only that still thing in the bed in that room. You didn't know? It was what made her hair fall out. The chemo, I mean. She said, I, I thought she shaved it, I muttered. A woman I had never met, her nose red and leaking, stuttered. Would you... Would you like to see her? They were staring at me too intently. Then I knew. It was a setup. Superheroes make a lot of enemies. It's part of the job description. And bad guys make some low blows. They were trying to trick me. Trying to use me against Ophelia somehow. But I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't look inside that room and be fooled by their homunculus. I wouldn't betray her like that. I turned and I walked. And I kept walking. I walked away, and I never did look. I didn't attend the funeral. I knew it was a trap. And if it weren't, what would be the point of watching them lower an empty shell into a hole marked with a stranger's name? No point at all. I did turn on the news, hoping, perhaps, to find one of the messages Ophelia always sought. Poison gas released on the Berlin U-Bahn. A hotel in Honolulu burned to the ground with guests still asleep inside. A flood in Morocco. A hostage situation in Kuwait. And I could almost tell, with a sense beyond the five I knew, which of those stories could have been prevented if only Ophelia had been around to save the day. And I thought, Ophelia said anyone could learn the language the sea beast stole. And I thought, Ophelia said she practiced leaving her body behind. And I thought... Ophelia said. The final few loose locks drift to the bathroom floor, and between the curls of hair, I read, as clearly as though it were written there in permanent marker, Answer. In the kitchen, the end of its cord trailing on the dusty floor, the phone rings. Feedback for Podcastle episode number 72, Ursula Flug's The Exit Sign, A Surreal Romance. Wow, you all just adored this story, didn't you? Let's get straight to it, shall we? Eitan said, Very occasionally a story comes out where the use of a second person overcomes the annoyance and pretentiousness of that device to contribute something really worthwhile to the narrative. This was not such a story. 
Scattercat said, I love surreal stuff and I love symbolism, but if you explain your symbolism to me in the darn story, it takes all the fun out of it. I don't really need you to tell me that the exit sign actually is your child who's made of two worlds coming together you see just like this relationship you've been telling me about but not showing for 15 minutes. I got that, thanks. Pretty clear. Well, as always, we at Podcast will really treasure your feedback, even when it's not positive. Recently, there's been some discussion on the forums as when criticism crosses the line. I'd point to the comments I just read as examples of when it doesn't, especially when it's so well thought out. Please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not extending an open invitation for you to just come on over to our forum and rip apart our stories or our authors, many of who do, in fact, read the forums. Thoughtful criticism, on the other hand, is definitely appreciated. Thanks, guys. Feel free to get in on more of the discussions, whether it be the pros or the cons, over at forum.escapeartist.net. On a slightly happier note, before I head toward the drawbridge with the red letters over it, swing on over to poddisc.com where you can pick up collections of all the Escape Artist podcasts as well as t-shirts. There's also t-shirts for Escape Pod and Pseudopod as well. They can be yours and yours and yours for a price. So enjoy your time browsing our own little spin on the floating market, and we'll see you next week. Same Podcastle time, same Podcastle channel. In the meantime, make sure you keep an eye on that red phone. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. John Osterman, also known as Dr. Manhattan, said, Your mind goes to dark places, and you wonder why I keep the worst from you.